Hello and welcome to the Worst Movies You Know podcast. This is my beautiful wife, Natalie. And I am Bobby. This episode we have watched... The Next Best Thing. For what year, Natalie? 2000. Natalie, why don't you tell the people at home what the Worst Movies We Know podcast is all about? So Bobby and I are married, we watch a lot of films together and we've decided to watch the worst DVDs we own according to the ratings each film has received on the website Letterboxd. We've not bought any of the DVDs specifically for this podcast. It's just an accumulation of things that we've got over the years from charity shop gambles, box sets, and things we've bought that other people just don't enjoy. We're watching each one with an open mind, hoping for the absolute best and that we will find some real treasures amongst these low-rated gems. Lovely stuff. Madonna, Rupert Everett, Mm. the next best thing... Charity shop find. I saw this yeah. cheap. I thought you might want to watch it. You came back with quite some treats that day. What, for the, a pound, I think. For a pound, yeah. Uh, but I kind of thought along the lines of it's not on any streaming services. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know it had quite such a bad reputation at the time. How but, bad was it? Do you want to do that in the next Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that in the stats oh, and figures. But it's, got, it's not loved by any means. It was kicked when it came out. Lots of Razzies, which we don't hold any stock in on the podcast. And Madonna can't make a film without getting... Rally nomination, mm. so there's yeah, there's that prejudice there. Um, how, what are your feelings about Madonna movie star? It's difficult because she doesn't necessarily make the choices of films that I would want to see. Like I know people went mad for Evita, but I can't stand Evita. I don't like the story. I don't like the musical. I don't like anything about it. I've watched it because I like Madonna, mm. and she didn't you know convince me all of a sudden that Evita was something that was worth anyone's time, effort, or money. Um, to watch uh, because Eva Peron's a fascist and um, I don't yeah I mean the, the earlier stuff you know when she first started being in films or as, as far as my wife first started being in films they're good films but she never really carries anything herself Desperately Seeking Susan's kind of the one exception but it's very much based around Madonna the pop star yeah Um. It's a great film. Love Desperate Seeking Season. Yeah, it's a really good film. Uh, obviously, when she's supporting in A League of Their Own, that's a yeah. good role for her. That, that's kind of the ideal, really, where she's not, you know, th- there's not too much pressure on her to to carry the film, where it's just, there's Madonna doing her thing, looking amazing. Um, that's why I like her cameo in Die Another Day. Uh, Die Another Day, covered earlier an earlier episode of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, not as bad as people think. No. I wouldn't. I think the problem is Madonna's not a good actress. But well, no, but she's not an actress. She's a singer who found her way into films. Like yeah. Elvis, Elvis can't act. And clearly, there must be some money in her being in films because they keep making them. It's mm. not like they've stopped doing it. Yeah. This came in what we can only call as Madonna's British period. <laughs> yes, quite. Where she moved to London, she married Guy Ritchie, and for some reason, that almost naturally gives you quite a upper-class British accent. Yeah, but she she embraced the culture, didn't she? She just didn't maybe realise, or no one really told her, that not many British people talk and act and dress like that. Yeah. But she liked... Madonna is someone who... who she became famous for her look and for inhabiting kind of roles and, and very strong looks. So for her, you know, she's coming over, she wants to do the British look. It's like Barbie. It's British Barbie. Oh, does British Barbie talk like how that lady talks? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. Um, the first 15, 20 minutes, I did wonder if she was 
playing him British. There's one scene where she definitely, definitely does do the British accent. Yeah. And then someone has a word. Yeah, I guess that's what happens. Or she forgets the next day. But as well, she's playing opposite Rupert Everett. So for her, it might be just, you know, she's someone who converges when she talks and her accent comes together with the person she's talking to. I do it. I do it. When I'm talking to people, my accent definitely changes depending on who I'm talking to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't go full Glaswegian if I'm talking to someone from Glasgow. No. That doesn't happen. But I would say there's fluctuations in how I carry myself in different social situations. Yeah, same here. If I'm talking to my family, then I'm, I'm going to sound more northern than if I'm not. Mm. Okay, so why don't you tell the people at home what the next best thing is? I'm going to say straight off the bat, it's a film that, I don't know if twists and turns is the right phrase, but there's definitely interesting stuff to talk about mm. in the second half of the film. So if you haven't seen it, we are going to just talk about every part of the film. So there are spoilers, in theory, but you have had 23 years to watch it. Yeah. My, my, my little synopsis doesn't have any spoilers. Okay, but going forward, I don't want to be constantly saying, oh, well, if you haven't seen the film, maybe you don't want to know this happens in it. To be honest, nothing too unexpected happens, but we are going to talk about the whole plot of the film. So. Yeah, sure. Okay. So the next best thing uh, is about two best friends living in LA, one a gay British gardener, the other Madonna. Uh, and possibly they have, British. Possibly British. <laughs> who have a one-night stand. And um, when Madonna discovers she's pregnant, they decide to move in together and have the child, bring it up. Six years later, their arrangement comes under threat uh, from the arrival on the scene of other men, which threatens to disrupt the harmony of their atypical family dynamic. Perfect. That's a really nice synopsis of what happens in the film. Yeah. So it kind of starts off as a romantic comedy. And it's probably fair to say the last half hour is more of a drama. Yes, I think the last half hour is more represent. No, I think not just half hour. The, the, 45 minutes? The last sort of three quarters of the film is more representative of what they're going for. Mm. In you know, Because this is not a romantic comedy. I thought I was sitting down to watch a romantic comedy and I was questioning that because it is awkward because one character is clearly gay and one character is clearly straight-ish. Yeah. Um, and... You know, it, you can see how that would be difficult to, to sort of see how, how they're going to make a romantic comedy out of that. It's not a romantic comedy. It took me a little while to settle down into the rhythm of it because of that, because for some reason they do act a bit like it's a romantic comedy for the first 15, 20 minutes. There's people getting drunk, there's campness, there's music, there's dressing up and um, jokes and silliness, but it really isn't. It's, um, I would say, it is, it's like a melodrama. It's like a kind of a traditional old-fashioned Hollywood drama film um and kind of like the, the the type you only seem to get and i'm assuming this because we don't watch these channels like the hallmark channel that kind of yeah it know. feels like it feels like a tv movie yeah hot button issue what if the man who raised your child was gay and then you decided to marry someone else mm-hmm. like and you know which back in the day would be a perfectly standard, fair, not the gay thing, if you were talking about the 50s, but, mm. you know, that kind of film is what films were. And now it seems like they are only relegated to TV movies on channels that yeah. we don't watch. If this was made, let's say, in the 1950s, but with a more permissive air towards homosexuality, mm-hmm. it could easily be a Rock Hudson, yeah. Douglas Sirk film. Douglas Sirk film, yeah. Um, but what I would say is that film would probably be far superior to what we've watched. 
Yes, but you know, I think we're going to disagree on this because, um, you know, I'm not I'm not going to hold anything back. I, I enjoyed, I quite enjoyed this film and I respect it. I, I'd say I respect it a lot more than I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah. I, I, I don't think it was a bad film at all. I see, I, I, I do disagree with you there to lay my cards out on the table in that I, I had so many problems with it as a film and yet I wanted to enjoy it. It just didn't give me enough moments to enjoy it. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that that we'll go through during the podcast. There's, there's lots that I didn't like about the film and the filmmaking, but that doesn't necessarily mean I wouldn't want to see a better version of that script made. Maybe maybe that time's passed now, is what I'd say also. Yeah. I, I don't think some of the concerns and issues... And I'd say it's quite even-handed throughout. Um, I guess we... we we always um, pick these films because they have a low rating on Letterboxd. And the instant knee-jerk of why they have a low rating on Letterboxd would be the fact that it might seem a little bit ham-fisted in its uh, representation of homosexuality mm-hmm. or, let's say, the trope of the fag hag. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure that's true. Like, watching it, I'd say it's actually probably about as sophisticated as a Hollywood movie's ever going to get. On, yeah. on these on these things, so I, I'm not taking points away from that. And we've not read the reviews. I think probably this more likely has a, a low rating because people just don't know what it is. It's sold as a romantic yeah. comedy, and it clearly becomes a drama as it goes on. Yeah, and I think possibly um, why I might be so generous towards this over the next however long we're going to talk about it is because... Um, it, it was only towards the end of the film that I really started to appreciate it. So I've, so I've been left with kind of an appreciation of it, which if I went back watching the film, knowing what it was trying to do, knowing what it was aiming at, I might not be so impressed by the end of it. I also sound incredibly serious right now because um, I had the giggles. Yeah, this is like the eighth take. So I'm trying to be really, really <laughs> serious. And the giggles have nothing to do with uh, the film. It's just the cat. The, but, cat's, um, the cat's been... A, I mean, we always, one of the questions we've introduced since we've got the cat doing the podcast uh, is, did, did Bill Clay enjoy the film? He really enjoyed the film. It sent him into a sophomoric sleep, darling, for the entire film. He was so. completely catatonic. Yeah, it. Catatonic. <laughs> <laughs> um, he 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 found it a very relaxing experience. But it was a gentle film. It yeah. wasn't, you know, it wasn't because it probably because it wasn't like a romantic comedy or silly. After yeah. the first fifteen and twenty minutes, it did. It was a very gentle experience watching it. Um, it was very well. We'll talk about it when we talk about the things we liked. But. It seems that the second we sit down to do this podcast, he uh, decides that he wants to find anything that makes noise in this room and have a pull or a play or a claw at it. Which makes the recording of any episode of this podcast over the last year quite difficult. No, he does not normally do that. You have annoyed him. How have I annoyed him? Shut him out of the living room. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, should we do facts and figures? Mm. The next best thing was released on March 2000. Uh, It cost 25 million and it only made 24.8 million so uh, around the world i'm again these things make more on dvd and video and tv rights and everything but this film has kind of just disappeared it hasn't really got that much of an afterlife i wouldn't be shocked if the dvd we've watched is from 2001 yeah and it hasn't been re-released again it hasn't been sort of a steady seller i could be wrong there but i'm pretty sure that's uh so it's directed by john schlesinger yeah director i love uh-huh. a gay director uh-huh. Um, but he's directed so many great films. Darling, Midnight Cowboy, Far From Manning Crowd, which we watched yesterday. Not in prep for this, just a happy accident. Um, 
did I say Marathon Man? No, you didn't, yeah. Pacific Heights. And there's probably another five there that are well worth talking about. Yeah. We're not talking about the highlights of his uh, <laughs> of his, his, his filmography. We're talking about his least uh, revered film, his last film. Uh, but one where he openly deals with homosexuality mm-hmm. in probably a way that he couldn't for even the Midnight Cowboys and the Darlings of his career. Yeah, although, of course, you know, homosexuality is a key part of the plot of Darling as well. And yeah. Bogo but I, I would say... There's a certain degree of him having to fulfil what was allowed by the British film industry at that time and the American film industry at that time. Yeah, I think he is very much someone who seems to have do, who does what he can at that time. Yeah. To put to sort of put the agenda on the table and maybe move the boundaries just a step forward each time. Yeah. Which is which is great Absolutely. and really admirable. But more importantly, in my opinion, he's just a fantastic filmmaker. Mm. Maybe not as evidenced here at times, but brilliant. Uh, working from a script written by a gentleman called Tom Rapelski. You remember all this? Yeah, I remember just doing off the top of my head, who, less illustrious career. Uh-huh. Uh, Boy, starring Patrick Dempsey as a teen gigolo. Mm. Uh, Look Who's Talking Now, which okay. doesn't have babies talking. It has two dogs voiced by Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton. Oh, I've never seen it. Is it good? Uh, no. <laughs> 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 but I did go see it at the cinema, so, yeah. <laughs> and, and this... And this kind of was kicked around Hollywood for about 10 years. And we'll talk about maybe that a bit more in the depth in the podcast. It stars Madge herself, Madonna. Shikikoni? Mm-hmm. How would you say her name? Oh, yeah, I don't know. That's why she just goes by Madonna, Rupert Everett. Ileana Douglas. Benjamin Bratt. Neil Patrick Harris. Michael Vartan. And Lynn Redgrave. There's other people floating around there too. But I think that's the main meat of the cast. Um, it has on Internet Movie Database a very poor four point six. Mm. That's yeah, that's pretty low even for this podcast. And on Letterbox, a big round two point zero, uh, mm. which is yeah, we we've been covering far more liked unliked films <laughs> recently. But this this really is in the dumps of you know kind of what we've been covering at the very beginning of the podcast episodes. Well, yes, because our choices are going to yo-yo in terms of the actual ratings, because I don't think you're going to stop buying shit from charity shops either. No, no, so. not at all. I mean, our, kind of, our next few films we're going to be covering, in, in my mind, are, are relatively new purchases, and then we might get back onto the 2.5 train. Yeah. Uh, so, if anything, we're, we're, back, we're back, in the, back in the weeds oh, yes. of what we're looking at. But that doesn't necessarily mean the films will be bad. No. Yeah. Because, as we say at the beginning of the podcast, we are approaching things with an open heart, and to be honest, mm-hmm. you've got a chance here, because mm-hmm. even though I would say credits running, listening to Madonna sing American Party, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so. I wasn't happy with the film, and it didn't fulfil its brief, and I, yeah, I was disappointed. You, you might have some good arguments, I might, you might change my opinion over the podcast. I'll try. Let's have a little break and we'll discuss everything you liked and didn't like okay. about I'm going to call it American Pie and it's not as a far superior film. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, mm-hmm. what did you like about the next best thing? Okay, I'm going to start broad and then we're, I could get into the nitty gritty of individual things that I liked about it. But the broadest thing I liked about it is, as mentioned, it's, it's doing the, the big Hollywood melodrama thing. It's going for a type of film which was very popular, no longer is, and I think that's a real shame. Um, and I think it's a shame that the the only kind of films of this type that are being made are cheap and, and nasty straight straight to Hallmark uh, TV channel bad cast 
boring films. Um, I'm assuming, I don't know, I, to be fair, I don't watch them, so they might be great, but I, I doubt it. Um, but I do think that any of the good ones probably don't ever see the light of day in terms of being at cinema or anything that people watch and talk about, because people are watching them on three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon while they're doing the writing. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I remember in the late 80s, Sally Field was in one that was based on a true story called Not Without My Daughter. Pretty mm. sure that's what it's called. And that did get a cinema release, even though it was one of those type of films. So, but that's the only example of one of these ever breaking out and kind of reaching the general public, is what I'd say. Yeah, the only other thing that sprung to mind when we were watching this, and plot-wise it has nothing to do with it, but was The Deep End of the Ocean. Because oh, The Deep yeah. End of the Ocean always really confused me. But again, that's something that's based on a book, I think, mm. and it's probably a book that Oprah liked, and that's how it got... In fact, it was probably produced by Oprah. And, and now you're saying that, I, you think about like kind of the late 90s, the early noughties, there was a big boom in publishing of what I would call misery porn. You know, mm. Angela's Ashes and mm. books like that. And all of those got cinematic adaptations as well. Uh, but this isn't that. This no. this is what probably started life as a light comedy script. And then they realised there's a more serious story to be told after them deciding they're going to have a kid together. Yeah, and when it settles down and it becomes serious... It does it really well. It's like those old melodramas that we've watched, the Douglas Sturt ones, and I'm sure there are others that we've watched not mm. that long ago, where you follow a plot, it's about, the, it's about the people, it's about them in a situation, and I guess it's the American version of the kitchen sink. It's people yeah. who act as you would expect people to act in slightly more exaggerated than normal life situations. Yeah. And I think there's something really nice about that and, and i like seeing people just reacting and, and doing but not making the most honorable decisions not making the most exciting or wild decisions mm. just acting like they would um and i think <clears throat> as well that because th this it starts off with that romantic comedy thing of two people sleep together and it's a mistake and they have to deal with the consequences like to name another film we've seen recently uh, what happens in Vegas? Is that, was that what happens in Vegas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Around many films time. start like that. So it's just an example of, you know, and that mm. that's a romantic comedy and that's how it spins off in that direction. This goes in a completely different direction where we zip forward six years and Madonna and Rupert Everett have a six-year-old child. They've lived together all that time. Everything seems to have kind of worked fairly well. They seem happy and the cracks start to appear in in the situation that they've got themselves in because they're two adults and they're lonely and they want to have sex with other people and there's that thing of well they could just keep on having one night stands with other people having casual relationships with other people or they might want to do the very kind of like normal thing of you know normal in quotation marks i'm not saying this is a good thing necessarily but what would you call it it's not normal what most people do, I suppose, without questioning it, they just settle down with one person and yeah. spend the rest of their lives with them. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I, but then other things happen as well. That It kind of throws spanners into the works, even at later stages in the film. And that's something that we you get a lot in those old films as well, those mm. melodramas, where you're watching it and half an hour from the end, someone will die or someone will go blind. Yeah. Um, a lot of people go blind in those films. Yeah, but I think it's going to sound so strange, but like kind of blindness seemed to be a far more. <laughs> like kind of, obviously, there's many, many uh, 
partially sighted and blind people out there mm-hmm. before, before I made that blind, sorry, blanket statement. But like, if, even if you look at film directors, half of the movie are missing an eye or have an eye that doesn't work. <laughs> that kind of, some, something happened in the 40s and 50s. I don't think it was particularly World War II where just what was curable and not curable seemed to reduce blindness a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A different thing from like, when we were kids and everyone had a missing finger. Yeah. You know, that was a bit of, that's something that you don't really have so much anymore. Um, so, yeah, I just, I really like it. I like the pacing of it. I liked the, the way that it, it kept kind of the story going. I didn't know, I didn't feel like I knew exactly where it was going. And certainly, even at the halfway mark, I was thinking, well, there's, there's no way of knowing where this is going. She could go off and take the kid away and marry Benjamin Bratt and, and he never sees him again. Or she could give up everything and, and do a kind of like a sort of a fairy tale ending where they just decide to keep going as they are and live together and everything's going to be fine. And it doesn't make either of those choices. It makes a, a more realistic, less sensational, but more sat- far more satisfying choice of how it goes. Yeah, I, it's, it's difficult. I mean, like a, a wider criticism of how the film is it just doesn't flow. Especially the first act, the, the romantic comedy act section of it. Usually when you watch a movie, scenes knock into each other with kind of a natural rhythm. And you have a good idea of where things are headed. So that there, if there is a, a turn, an unexpected turn, it is unexpected. Whereas this felt very disjointed. I don't think it massively shifted from that in the second section but i just had a firmer idea of what was happening no I, mean, I, I disagree um i think it's disjointed in both the romantic comedy first 20 minutes and it's disjointed in the last sort of two-thirds of the film but in completely different ways the first 15 20 minutes doesn't really work you go from um sort of like jokes and silliness and playing a prank to a horrible funeral where you've got a dead man's family of conservative people yeah. on one side and the the dead guy's gay friends on and, and lover on the other um and it's very serious and very sad and you know it's it's all over the place once it gets past that and it settles down and the baby's born i i think it is disjointed in a very kind of familiar way from those old melodramas i think those old melodramas that we we used to watch in that we watched from the 40s and the 50s that happened all the time mm-hmm. where something where where it would take a complete swing after one scene ends and then there's a swerve and it, it's so many years later or it, the characters are doing something you completely don't expect um or someone comes back is i i think that's intentional in the last section of the film one one thing i did notice is i'd say the first half hour 40 minutes is told from madonna's point of view and if anything, it almost feels like Madonna propaganda because for the first 10 Ooh, minutes, yeah. it's like Madonna's so gorgeous, she's so <laughs> brilliant. Every character says how wonderful Madonna is. There's loads of glamour shots of her, even though she's going about her everyday yoga instructor mm-hmm. business and stuff. And then after she gives birth, we cut to black and Rupert Everett's character has a camera and mm-hmm. is looking around the party and we've jumped six years and he's, he's being a good father to the child. And from then on, everything's from his point of view to the point where there's there's quite a lot of scenes where Madonna's not around or we only mm. see the fallout of her actions rather than the um, seeing her making decisions as a human being. Mm. And it kind of paints her more as a villain. Yeah, I would agree it, with that. Um, and I think it's 
a brave decision for a film of 2000 to go, the less well-known actor is going to carry the second half of the film. And the star, even though we're not going to out and out paint her as being the nemesis of the film, mm. is making decisions with no regard for the other person mm-hmm. that she spent so much time with. And there's lots of revelations as the film goes along, which she's actually made quite a few of these selfish decisions mm-hmm. over their relationship. Doesn't linger on them, but she has. Um, and the friendship or non-romantic relationship almost feels like a betrayal as the film goes along. And there's a part of me that wonders why Madonna of all people chose it as a film to make. Well, maybe. Well, you could give her credit and say maybe she was fully aware of, of how it was and how her character would be presented and she just agreed with the story and felt like it was a the right yeah. choice and the right, you know, I'd like to think that's the case. Or it could be that they shot the film completely in sequence and her publicist was there for the first week and uh, <laughs> then had other things to do. So I wasn't there to monitor the situation. Or, um, I don't know, it's... Or, or you zip forward six years mm-hmm. and people mature at different rates. And she, she hasn't matured in those six years, really, despite being a mother. Yeah. And whereas Rupert Everett's character really has. The, the child has made him. Maybe it was his mum's good advice in the in the car, you know, having yeah. a child, which is a lovely moment as well, and it's just a really lovely sentiment. The best thing for her when she had a child was not being the most important person in the world anymore, mm. um, which was lovely. See, I didn't even take that from that scene because it was really badly put together again that uh, the scene starts off with about five establishing shots outside of the highway while they're having a conversation. I'm thinking, what happened? Did they not film the first half of this scene properly? And then the rest of it's dubbed and, uh, and has lines kind of jutted in at the last moment and then if I concentrate on one thing they said to each other it was so badly filmed well maybe that is your own shortcomings or <laughs> you know maybe you're, you're too interested in the technical side of the filmmaking and you forget to enjoy the actual story I think if I'm noticing these things I'm questioning these choices then and you then the film's not doing its job of getting me caught up in its stories and emotions because um, many many films do we watched creed last night we watched far from the man in grab by the same director yesterday uh, and i was doing this far less because they didn't feel like compromises or, or mistakes being covered up well i i noticed that bit so that I, i've noticed it for the both of us thank you you are welcome what else did you like um as well just just on the kind of the melodrama thing just little little points about that that I do that that make me think that is very much um a lot of intention going into this film being made to be like one of those films from the forties and fifties. It's the the kind of some of the shots with like the shadows over the face, yeah, and the close ups of the faces, mm. um, the music yeah. is very much of that kind of kind of film in that era, and I, I thought it was nice music, and uh, even the fact that the beginning section where they are getting drunk and everything. They are in a very beautifully decorated house. She is wearing costumes because the um, Rupert Everett's character is a garner. He lives in the pool house of this old, very old gay Hollywood couple. Mm-hmm. He, he, the one of whom was a dress designer from mm-hmm. the fifties, and Madonna dresses up in an absolutely beautiful evening gown yeah. of that era. Mm-hmm. So it's even like an actual nod. They're using glass cocktail glasses yeah. that are of the era. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of things like that that kind of. Just nods, nods to, nods to the fifties. Yeah, kind of and to be honest, that's what I liked about the film the most. I, I, I liked the fact that it referenced back to classic Hollywood. Yeah, I liked 
the moments where you knew John Schlesinger had definitely directed that scene and that shot. Mm. Um, him being someone who, you know, kind of maybe shook up that traditional Hollywood kind mm. of form. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. There were times where it appeared to be a far better film than it was. Okay. Uh, so other th- so other things that I liked about it were, and I think I've mentioned this before when we watched films in the podcast, I really like it when it'll suddenly just focus on just a real life thing and you get a little kind of like in- insight into yeah, how things work. It becomes like a process movie a little bit. Um, yeah. Are we talking about the process of yoga studios? Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah, it is. I, it's not something, yoga's in, like obviously it has been everywhere um, and loads of people do it. It's a very Hollywood thing as well. So you get it in loads of films, but not in this kind of much detail with this much focus and probably at a time where maybe in the UK <laughs> and in certain parts of America, um, it wasn't, everyone did it and yeah. everyone knew the names of the poses and everything. It was still kind of like a Hollywood thing and a, mm. a rich people thing. Um, and I thought that there's quite like an extended scene um, in the yoga studio where Benjamin Bratz f- f- first appears and he's wooing Madonna and he joins a yoga class. And you do, you see it in a lot more detail in the poses and the names of the poses yeah. and everything. I really liked that. Mm-hmm. Cool. I also really liked those massive oil plungers. I don't know what you call them. You know when you watch a, a film um, and you see certain things and you kind of like know what Oh, uh, an oil derrick. Derrick, yeah. Well, no, derrick's you know? like the thing... You see on the Monopoly board, like okay. almost like the Eiffel Tower, but the things that like are like the birds dipping yeah, into the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. John Schlesinger likes those. I'm pretty sure they're in Pacific Heights as well. Oh yeah, oh I love them. <laughs> it's so nice to see them. I really like those, and I really like those big windmills that you see on the way to Palm Springs. Yeah. Um. So they just oh, it's just nice to see. Um. Well, there was something else that I liked. I like the big. I don't think they were ever really in. Um, uh, what do you call it? A greenhouse. But there are quite a lot of scenes in a greenhouse, but it really looks fake uh, mm-hmm. around them. And I don't know why, but I guess there's probably reasons you can't film in a greenhouse. Yeah, you can't have artificial lights in something that's a very controlled environment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing that's almost exactly the reason why. But it's a shame because mm. it was really beautiful. Anything else you liked? Car wash. You like Okay, so what you're saying <laughs> is John Schlesinger or his location manager has got a really good eye for an establishing shot. Yeah, because... <laughs> I don't drive, and your dad never lets us go into the car wash. I never get to go into a car wash anymore. I've not been in a car wash since I was a kid, and I really miss it. I love going through the car wash. So it was really nice and very satisfying for me that they go through a car wash mm-hmm. at one point. So that's nice. So if any of our Edinburgh listeners are on the podcast and drive, mm-hmm. Natalie would quite happily, for if you were to make £100 charity... Sit in your car <laughs> while you go through the car wash, and she could tell you all about her favourite um, other things to do, which she can't do in the car. They pay us. Yeah, they pay us. For, they pay the charity, Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home. Oh, yeah. yeah that's 100 nice. quid, Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home. Okay. Get your bids in. Oh. She'll do nothing sexual in the car. No, I won't do that. I'd be too excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I. So, we. we there's not loads else to say on what I like about it. I think I really covered it. It is one kind of major thing. But I'm not going to finish without mentioning Madonna. Because we started off talking about Madonna. Oh, I don't think she was great in this. My no, yeah, imagination, no. don't worry. I just really like Madonna. And I just think it's really nice to just see her. And she's got so... Her arms are amazing. Yeah, I mean, in terms of... Obviously, if... You could have sex with any 
version of Madonna. You'd be going for mid eighties, like kind yeah. of still a bit of chub around the Madonna. But she, for a woman who's probably forty at this point, looks mm. fantastic in this, and they know it because they get quite a few shots where she's in her skimpies. Yeah. Basically naked, as far as the 12 credit will push, yeah. in terms of showing off her, her brilliant body. Uh, and uh, great choices of outfits throughout the film. Mm-hmm. She looks great, but looks aren't going to carry what turns into quite a serious drama. <laughs> <That was> fine. <laughs> um, Rupert Everett, as well, you get a lot of, uh, just if anyone's interested towel wearing yeah uh, and, and work, ben, just in his underpants and benjamin bratt gets a few, a few benjamin bratt like glamour shots so much he's got such a tiny waist <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um i don't like benjamin bratt he's really annoying and then i think some people some women and men like that the kind of arrow of abs shooting down to the penis it's terrifying we know where it is <laughs> directions <laughs> whereas you've got more of a scenic route going down to the penis on me Oh, oh, right, okay. <laughs> but, you know, a few more diversions <laughs> rather than direct. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't want to, like, completely ignore you, yeah. but Rupert Everett uh, is, looks really buff. Yeah, he, he looks great and... at it. He, he generally does. Like, I don't know if he, if he built up that physique just for the film because like, we've seen him in stuff in the early 90s when he wasn't really a name, like mm. uh, Comfort of Strangers and stuff. And he, he looks a bit like kind of a Wan Hugh Grant. Mm. And later on in his career, he gets becomes an older man, like a, a, st- a statesman of, of Oscar Wilde, the cinema. But in this, he, he looks absolutely ripped. Boy shredded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's got a wonderful face. He's got a wonderful face, has <laughs> he? Um, but I think it's nice to see them together. I mean, I don't know if they know each other. I think they are mates. Yeah. It I seems, get the feeling they are mates. It seems like maybe this came about in terms of they were maybe at a party or something mm. and decided, oh, we'd like to make a film together and went hunting for something. I've got further gossip on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this was originally uh, developed as a script in the mid-90s for two very different movie stars. All right. Richard Dreyfus and <laughs> Helen Hunt. No! Yeah. Richard Dreyfus going to play it gay? Yeah, Richard Dreyfus is going to play the character gay. I think there was... It was mid-90s, you started to see... Your occasional straight actor, your Robin Williams, or people like that, uh-huh. kind of, you know, taking the risk and playing a, a gay lead. Yeah. But in a non sexualized way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film, you know, is not chaste, mm. but equally the problem never is Rupert Everett wants to have a relationship away from because it's never even thought that he might bring a man back to the house. Well, no, sex. because he goes to the, he, he does yeah. have relationships and he goes to the other person's house, which is another sign of him kind of taking a more mature yeah. pr- approach and putting the kid first. Um, but yeah, but, and then when that didn't come off, Rupert Everett was the first person they offered the film to, the script oh, to. Oh, okay. And he said no, because he didn't like the script. Right. He d- and he said he'd only come on board once Madonna found the script and said she'd quite like to do it with Rupert Everett, mm-hmm. if he could have a rewrite of it and be a producer as well. Oh. Film gets greenlit, they start making it, he's fired from the co-writing role and the producing role. No. Yeah. The, who knows for what reasons, but probably was. It was an enticement to get him on board. They didn't want him actually having any creative control over... That's so shady. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, he still, he could have really phoned it in, but um, you don't see that in his performance. I no, think he still too. really puts total effort in and, and that really speaks volumes for his professionalism then because he'd be furious. If that yeah, he, it's a good performance from him and I'd say that's one of the one of the rare highlights for me in the film is, is Rupert Everett's very good in that. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, the only other thing I would say is that whilst I don't think they get kind of any kind of a, a meaty plot, they don't even really get meaty dialogue. Um, there are plenty of other people we like in it in some very yeah. small roles and some slightly big ones. NPH. Um, Ileana Douglas. Ileana always, Douglas. Always love to see her. John Carroll Lynch, yeah. very small role. Um, I like the parents. Lung Redgrave isn't someone really massively on my red, radar other than the fact that she is a Redgrave. I wouldn't be able to pick her out of a lineup. Yeah. I still wouldn't, even after seeing that. Um, but his parent characters are nice and have a lovely little kind of... Uh, Dynamic. Yeah. And a good degree of shading to them. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And they're, they're barely in it, so that's quite impressive. Her friends, less so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so the, there there is a smattering of, of uh, good people as well. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, I'd say both the himbos in the film, Michael Vartan and Benjamin Bratt, mm. only seem to really exist in these films to be more glamorous ladies' partner. Can I just say, I do not get Michael Vartan at all. Apart from the fact that he's a beautiful man. I mean, I can see he's a beautiful man. But he was in so many things around this time. And he's just rubbish. Yeah, everyone has a little, every handsome actor or actress has a little shot, but I think eventually that, that's what TV's there for, for them to do 20 episodes in a show about the FBI or the police that you don't watch. Yeah. And I've seen that's where his career's gone, I'm not, not being mean. Uh, Benjamin Bratt, I can't think of a single role where he's not romantic interest for a Sandra Bullock or someone like that. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure we've seen one film where he plays a drug overlord or something like that. That's the only time I can think of it. He's not the romantic. Right. Second lead. Okay. I don't remember that. <laughs> it might be that Brian Cranston undercover one, the informer. Oh, but, okay. And I'm sure Benjamin Bratt's listening into the podcast going, no, I was in this, and I was in that, and I was in this, and I was in that. But, mate, let's Tell be honest, you you're, you know, I can't even think what the female equivalent would be because ladies who are movie stars are movie stars. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What didn't you like? What didn't I like? Um, so, well, just leading on from that, um, th- I think the, you, they could have beefed up quite a few of the peripheral characters' roles, but particularly Neil Patrick Harris seems yeah. to get short shrift. Because he has, he's given a really serious storyline as well. Yeah. So um, we meet when we first meet him, he's at the funeral of his um, boyfriend who has died of AIDS. He's been shut out by the family. He's been shut out by the family, so he, he loses his home. Mm-hmm. And then later on in the film, he's surrounded by pill bottles, so mm-hmm. we know what's happening. And all, uh, like, the, the reason why he's in that scene is because he and... Rupert Everett having a conversation about how Rupert Everett's struggling with his custody battle for yeah. his and Madonna's kid. And it's like, yeah, but mate, MPH's got AIDS, yeah. so that's more important. But he seems to be surviving AIDS. He's taking taking his meds, or surviving HIV, we probably should say. And he's mm. taking his meds and he's, uh, you know, it's not a death sentence at that point. He no. turns up for the court case as well. What, what oh, I'd yeah, say does, yeah. a definite misstitch in the film is uh, MPH and other gay friend are presented as being both Madonna and Rupert Everett's mates oh, at yeah. the in the film. And the film misses that scene towards the end where maybe MPH has a word with uh, Madonna about mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah, that would make more sense. I guess they just run out of time. I, I think there, there's a definite, definite decision in that second half to keep it all at Rupert Everett's point of view. Every, yeah. Everything's a scene with him in where he is experiencing events from his point of view. 
Yeah. And there's a definite decision there, which is great, really brave, yeah. really good. But as an entertainment or even as a drama, it's maybe missing that really good scene where someone who's a part of both of these people likes takes one of them to one side and says, listen, you're ruining your friendship over this. You need to find a solution. You need to talk. Whereas yeah. I get the feeling Neil Patrick Harris is, I need to take all my pills, and Rupert Everett's having a laugh with him while he does it scene, is there to give Rupert Everett a clear reason why he's out of the house when Madonna clears out with the kid and oh, stuff. Yeah, I guess and so. he comes home and it's a shock. It shocked us as well. Things escalated quick. Yeah, they really did. Well, that's that's something else that I would say I had an issue with. I feel like there are gaps in the later half part of the film. I think maybe too much attention, too much time is taken before they have the child and seeing their lives and them having fun. They, it takes them ages to get drunk. Mm. They could have done that a lot quicker. Whereas um, the later part of the film, which is really what the meat and potatoes is... Um, there, there, there are huge question marks over sections of it. You, the ba- you, you see the baby, mm-hmm. they have the baby, and they paint it blue for a photo, and then the kid's six, a very old six, by the way, but mm. six. And I think it would have been nice to have seen them at, at two, at four, you know, just yeah. a little bit more so that you can see that they're good parents and that they have changed their lives to accommodate the the child you know like a three men and a baby montage yeah. you know and you get like a good five minutes of them doing baby stuff yeah well see this is the interesting thing like kind of i don't know if madonna is presented as being a good mother during the film rupert everett excellent father for mm. the film lots of emotionally rich developmental interactions with the boy uh has a really good rapport with the kids mm. madonna Swears a couple of times in front of the kids, which we all would. Yeah. We all do, but this is a Hollywood film, it seems strange. Yeah. And when she's at work, the kids just stuck on the counter <laughs> while she's on the phone. It's yeah. like, she does paint it blue. She does paint it blue at some point. No one's got any idea that they, they. Madonna goes through an Indian period during yeah. our Hindu period, as uh, Jim Bowen would call it, during the film, and uh, wears her bindi and stuff. And for some reason, she. Uh, Decides the the baby should look a bit like um, Rama. Rama, that's right. Thank you. Or Krishna. Or Krishna. I don't know. Anything else you didn't like? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My only real other real issue, um, or at least the only other one that I've written down I can remember, is uh, that the kids all over the shop. No, the. The, the kid's quite well... The, the, there's nothing wrong with the child as an actor. Yeah. The, the, chi- the child actor's fine. And um, that's usually a real beef for yours. You don't like bad child acting, do you? I know. You get it less in America. Um, American kids are really good actors. It's it's generally more British, British, British kids. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a bad child actor is excruciating. And there are far too many of them. Mm. Um, no, the kid's fine. But I don't, I don't know that much about kids. But he's meant to be six, so he should probably actually be seven, going by the maths of the years and everything. Yeah. And uh, he's a really old-looking six or seven. Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, but then he reads baby books. Yeah. And you think, well, does no has no one ever met a kid who's made this film? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I've just got, like, a slightly more age-appropriate child. Yeah. 
and yeah, he learns what the word fag is for the first time, and it, it feels weird for a kid of that size not to have heard that word before, especially given his situation. Yeah, a kid but, of that size, maybe not a kid of that age, though. Yeah, so they just yeah. even a smaller child. Yeah. Um, maybe he was just six, he was just a really tall child. <laughs> I mean, you do get big kids. Yeah, you happened. do, you do. Um, but I'm guessing Already that... Already shaven at four. Yeah, <laughs> were you? <laughs> I'm guessing he was about... 12 <laughs> the actor but anyway um that was an issue for me but that's why i thought he and um rupert ever actually had a really nice rapport yeah they were quite you know physical with each other in a way that father and son would be they talked to each other that way the kid seemed to really like him and have a lot of respect for him and again this feeds into your theory as well that because the kid didn't have the same kind of physicality and closeness with madonna mm-hmm. um so that could be another intentional yeah. Thing of maybe the kid was kept away from Madonna, you know. In a, 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 oh, I, I don't think Badger's got a lot of time for hanging out with any of the sporting <laughs> cast on set. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> whereas, yeah, yeah, probably Rupert Everett was, was a, a bit more of a laugh for the kids to be around on set. <laughs> So, like, on A League of Their Own, you don't think she went to the pub afterwards with... Gina Davis Gina. and Laurie Petty? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't okay. think so at all. <laughs> no. That's a shame. She's a very busy girl. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah she is. That's fine. Okay, let's have a little break and we'll talk about our regular questions. Okay. Natalie, regular questions. Uh-huh. Who was the Michael Parks of the film when everyone else was collecting a paycheck? Who put in full effort and really stole the show? Rupert Everett. Yeah. Um, one criticism I've got of this film is a lot of the scenes, with the exception of Rupert Everett and Ileana Douglas, feel like rehearsals rather than proper takes. No one seems to be giving their role, even like really good performers like Neil Patrick Harris, mm. feel a bit subdued and uncertain. And it only feels like Rupert Everett's got a grasp on his character mm-hmm. and what he's trying to communicate in the scenes with any kind of energy. Yeah. Now maybe everyone else is trying to go at Madonna's speed. Don't want to throw too. Don't want to throw her under the bus. Mm. But it's a very weakly performed film in terms of acting. And considering how impressive the credits are as you go along, it's annoying that the star of the film, the proper lead of the film, is the only one giving it any kind of moxie. Yes. Normally, when we do this question, it is somebody, or at least we make we make an effort to make sure it's someone who isn't the main credited person. I can't think of anyone. Ileana Douglas doesn't get enough screen time. Neil Patrick Harris doesn't feel assured himself. Though this possibly could be the first time that he's playing his own sexuality on screen. Yeah, that's true. Maybe there's a certain you know maybe maybe there's a certain trepidation there but maybe yeah who's to say we don't know what's going on in the guy's head yeah or maybe he is a bit confused about the whole thing because he is such tragic character in it but isn't really given any kind of tragic lines because Um, he's just a foil for um yeah and we know he works better in a slightly even more flamboyant role or something a bit more comedic and this is a serious role when he's still known as Doogie Howser at this point. There's no there's no getting around it. He's still known as the child star who played the doctor on the medical show for mm-hmm. five or six years. That was very successful, but was a running joke in terms of its cultural impact. Yeah. Yeah. Product placement, who kicked in some cash to have their wares on show? Adidas. Adidas did. Anyone else? Heineken. Heineken, yeah. Some good, good healthy product shots of the Heineken. And there is, like, out of the opening sequence, there's every character in every scene seems wearing Adidas, so... Yeah, there's a lot of Adidas. A lot of Adidas, and that's fine, they've paid their money. They've, um, you know, again, well done Heineken and Adidas for, you know, again, 2000, 
Hollywood film where the main character is gay and it's talking about gay issues wasn't exactly I don't think there probably would have been there would have been some products or some brands you might have gone we might skip that one mm, that's true so yeah. well done them well we we, we support Heineken <laughs> in our own way anyway so yeah, um, if you can make one change to the next best thing what would it be the one change I would want to see in terms of the result would be to balance out the film a bit better in terms of the first 20 minutes, half hour romantic comedy side and then what it actually is at the end. I don't know whether that means changing the first bit of it or maybe just bridging it a bit better in the middle so that you can see them getting slightly less frivolous or at least one of them getting slightly less frivolous and settling down and being responsible uh, and making that the reason why it's so silly at the beginning. Um, but that's that's what I would want to see, a, a more consistent Yeah, it, it's, it's an inconsistent film. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head of what needs to be improved. I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth about this because it's something that I really noticed while watching the film mm-hmm. is there's a point where Benjamin Bratt has wooed Madonna and they're going through their first steps of the relationship and mm-hmm. Rupert Everett is starting to see trouble ahead. Mm. And then they go to a supermarket together mm-hmm. and Benjamin Bratt, naturally in conversation, let's slip back now. He's probably going to have to stay in his job in New York, which means they might have to move away. Mm-hmm. And that seems so weird because it's been quite a colourful, frothy film up until that point. You know, you know that there's going to be some serious issues and there's been things hinted at as going on. But up until that point, it could still very much be a romantic comedy. You could be moments away from a Mrs. Doubtfire Robin Williams versus Pierce Brosnan custody battle pranks kind of situation up until that mm. point. You, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a complete left of field swerve for it to stay as a romantic comedy with Rupert Everett pulling out all his gay bagger tricks to make sure he keeps his son because he loves him. Mm. But that scene is in a supermarket. One of the most colourful settings in the world is a supermarket with all the brand packaging and all the fruit and over that. And the colours are completely muted compared to everything else we've seen. Yeah. And the tone of the acting is a lot more hysteronic and angry than anything we've seen so far in the film. Mm. And from that point on, we're in drama territory. Mm-hmm. And, in, and it feels like a swerve. And I feel either the first half needed more like that in it, so it's not such a, a shock when somebody's walking home and there's no one in the house and half the furniture's been moved out and all the, all the life's been taken out mm. of the house. Yeah. And equally, again, you're you're more amusing character actors like your Neil Patrick Harris's still are getting screen time where they're interacting with people. It's it's like the movie turns on time. It's like from Dust Till Dawn. In that, we know when we turned up to see From Dust Till Dawn, we're going to see a Tarantino movie that might have some horror elements into it. But mm. the movie itself is crime film, crime film, crime film. Oh my God, there's vampires. And that's horror film the whole way through. Mm. And this feels very much the same. Romantic comedy, romantic comedy, romantic comedy. We are in serious drama territory now. and We're not going back to romantic comedy at any time during the film. And that's a brave choice. But I don't think it works. I don't think the romantic comedy section is strong enough. And I think the drama's not given enough time to marinate. Because you're still picking up the pieces of it becoming a drama for far too long for you to actually get as involved in the drama. I think that maybe you've hit the nail on the head as to why I possibly have a lot more time for this film than you do, in that it was a, a long time before that point that I settled down into dra- melodrama right, territory, okay. or yeah. whatever you want to call it. It felt to me like a melodrama before they even had the kid, um, just with certain kind of 
when they wake up together the following morning, it doesn't feel like a romantic comedy. It feels like a serious moment. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That that scene has the right level of import, but yeah. at, the, at that point, I don't. We passed the point of no return where it couldn't carry on being a frothy romantic comedy. No, maybe, but maybe if if at that if if I checked in earlier to the melodrama thing, I was maybe reading things differently mm. from you, um, or just ignoring things, or just kind of letting things wash over that were still ha- hangover from the romantic yeah. comedy side of things. So maybe that's just where we were just coming from it. And, and, and you're absolutely place. right. But then I would also say that the level of performance away from Rupert Everett isn't going to match that kind of level of drama we're going into. No, no. And that's a sudden jerk. Problem, but, you know, never really was, was it? No. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay. Where would you cast James Spader in this? I think the most obvious role for him would be the Michael Vartan role. Oh, yeah. Are we going to completely ruin the film for people who haven't seen it? Yeah, no, I I think if they've made it this far, they're probably not going to watch the film. (laughs) Okay, if, if, if you are now thinking maybe you might want to watch it and you don't want it spoiled... Uh, We're going to give away one of, the, one of the most shocking spoilers of the film now. <laughs> so, Michael Vartan is Madonna's flame at the beginning of the film who does her wrong, leaves her. Oh, in a really hard... Like, he is such a shit. It's yeah, a bit on the nose. Madonna does the same man. thing later on to Rupert Everett. Yeah, I know, but Michael Vartan actually says out loud... Mm what most men, I think, are probably thinking in their heads when they break up with a woman. I don't think that. I, th- like, I, I think... OK, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to the point we were going to make in a second. When Michael Vartan breaks up with Madonna during the 10 minutes of Madonna propaganda, he says to her all the things that are perfect about her, how wonderful she is as a person, but what he'd like is a woman who's less complicated because she's just too wonderful and he wants a bimbo. But that's not how he says it. Uh, that, but that's that, that's no, what we're supposed to take away from it as a female. in the slightest. He's, he doesn't give her compliments um, in any shape, way or form. He says that she's always there when he gets home and he wants to be able to wake up in the morning with a woman that he doesn't care about so that she can just leave and he can get on with the rest of his day because he's a man-child. Yeah, I know, but that I, I think that's more to do with how women view men who break up with them rather than, let's be honest, Madonna reveals herself to throughout the film to be quite a nasty piece of work and probably being with her had more issues than Michael Vartan wanted to say during a breakup. Whatever. Neither of them is that young at the point that he breaks up with them. I know Madonna's playing younger, but she not. it's not ridiculously younger. No, she, she's probably her age once we jump six or seven years. Yeah, so yeah. she's in about her early 30s, as is he. Yeah. I mean, you can't be still having that attitude then. Or at least if you are having that attitude, then keep it inside your head. Yeah, no, and you just would... say something nice. But, but I, I would say your romantic comedy audience, who would mainly be made up of older females or females above the age of eight, let's say 30, do want to hear that said out loud so they go yep yeah, just as i thought that's why men leave me okay. rather than it's more complicated than that and they weren't working as a relationship <laughs> thank you for making me feel like an older female yeah, that's right though i like an older female <laughs> so anyway michael vartan is the biological father of madonna's child and it's only revealed very late in the day that madonna kept this a secret from rupert everett and pretended that she never let him know that there was a chance that he might not be the father, and she never let him know once she knew for certain he wasn't the father, mm-hmm. until custody battle begins. Yeah, uh, and uh, Rupert Everett goes to see Michael Vartan, and Michael Vartan's still a bit of a shit. Possibly looks like he's going to be a better person. Be the fairy godmother who gives Rupert Everett an out, but means he can stay in the boy's life. Yeah, but he's just a selfish shit, mm-hmm. which I think uh, probably 
means that James Spader could probably play that role fairly well. He'd probably knock it right out of the park. Oh, he'd be so good. It would be excellent. <sighs> 2000 uh, James Spader as well. Mm-hmm. Though he'll be, he'll have been making the watch with them, wouldn't he? Yeah, but he's, he would be almost exactly the same age as Madonna. Yeah, I guess mm. that is probably about right. Now, oh, the reason Natalie's brought up uh, James Spader, Keanu Reeves' vehicle, The Watcher, is she is buying it on DVD. It's coming this way, and it would definitely be something we cover in the podcast, but she doesn't want to cover it in the podcast, do you, darling? I want to watch it on Wednesday. You want to watch it on your own on Wednesday, <laughs> unspoilt by me and my critical eye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine such a thing? So I actually want to just enjoy uh, a film. <laughs> well... I will report back as to whether I enjoyed the watcher. Some sometimes you just want to watch a film in a less complicated way and wake up the next morning uh, <laughs> and not have it hanging around. I see what you mean. <laughs> okay. Would <laughs> would the next best thing be improved by a sex scene or another sex scene? Oh, I forgot about that question. Mm. Would you like to see Rupert Everett and the guy from Boston League or Raw Dog in it? I mean, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it really needs it. Uh, you have enough kind of like flesh on show. You have enough phys- people being physical with each other. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it really needs a sex scene, no. Certainly don't think we need to see the, uh, well, what isn't the um, conception. But yeah, it's meant to. I don't, I don't need to see that. Cool. And that leads us to, that done as Bill Clay would like it, so he slept through it. <laughs> um, is... The next best thing that threatens the whole way through the movie to have Madonna doing a cover of American Pie and then <laughs> ends with Madonna singing a cover of American Pie. Is the next best thing worse or better <laughs> than I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> and I don't even care what you think of me. Um, but I, I will probably watch this again one day um, out of choice. So therefore I would have to say it's better than Bad Boys. I would say you've done a really good job of convincing me there's more to the film than I sat through. But, but it is worse than Bad Boys, okay. and it is. It's Have quite I genuinely a, convinced you, moved you slightly towards my point of view? Slightly towards your point okay. of view. I was ready to give it a complete kick in with the exception of Rupert Everett mm. and some of John Schlesinger's directed, but I do think it's a badly made film. I do think it's compromised as a film mm. in many, many ways. But I would say, as an entertainment, it doesn't work. And as a drama, there's just not enough there. It, need, it needs better acting. Like, genuinely, it needs a supporting cast to really, really feed into what Rupert Everett is trying to achieve to be considered in any way a watchable experience. Having said that, you have highlighted things that... And made me think of things that I did like about it. Okay. I wish the film was as consistent as the best moments in it. Yeah. I think we both agree with that. Next episode, we are watching Amityville 3D. Oh, do I need my 3D glasses? You definitely need your 3D glasses. I'll pop them on now when you wear them for (laughs) (laughs) Is it all coming at you? It's all coming at you. I can't see you doing that. I know that was just for you. Okay. We're we're live on air. uh, Audio, describe it. (laughs) Natalie's reaching out into the thin air. <laughs> She's still doing it. <laughs> so join us then for Abbeyville 3D. Um, Natalie, thank you very much for oh. taking part in the podcast. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Being my very special guest. <laughs> thank you, Bobby. <laughs> we'll see you next month.